0: Hello and welcome to Kolot. This is your host, Rabbi Hillel Kappenstein, director of the Columbus Community Kolal, and it's a great honor and privilege to bring to you our exclusive interview with Harav Aaron Lapiansky, the Rosh Hashiva from Silver Spring, Maryland, an incredible tamad chacham, a great, Torah scholar. And we had the opportunity to sit down with Rabbi Lopiansky in person when he came here to Columbus, Ohio. And I was wondering, when should I release this episode? I was kind of holding on to it for the right time. And I thought, you know, around Pesach time, people might be, you know, needing something to listen to, to find inspiring, might have a little more free time on their hand. And what Rabbi Lopiansky talks about is something that I I feel is, you know, we we could really bring close to home on many different levels. We cover um, topics like his parents and his uh, surviving the Holocaust and the Simcha Sachaim they had, despite, you know, all that happiness, despite going through the Holocaust. Uh, We talk about Holocaust education, the need to teach the next generation and the younger people about the Holocaust and the Khorban of Europe. We talk about, diversity in learning uh can someone learn things outside their uh you know familiar circles uh if you're hasidish how do you relate to teachings that are sephardic and vice versa etc and this is a great conversation about diversity we go from there um discussing diversity to um Ben Torah for Life, his incredible book that he wrote about, which we're gonna call this episode, Ben Torah for Life, uh, about a person just being um, with Torah at all times, you know, at all places, wherever they find themselves in the world and many other things. So it's a great episode and we wanna thank our sponsor, Columbus Jewish News, who we're very excited to partner with as our media sponsor. And without any further ado, let me tell you about our guest. Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky is the Rosh Yeshiva of Greater Washington to Ferris He learned for decades at the Mir Yeshiva and follows the Mesorah of his Rebbeim, Harav Chaim Shmulevitz and Harav Nacham Parzovitz, and his father-in-law Harav Benish Finkel, the late Rosh Yeshiva of the Mir. His approach to learning was also deeply influenced by his long association as a close Talmud of Harav Moshe Shapiro. Rabbi Lapiansky is a renowned speaker and the author of several Hebrew Sfarim, as well as a few English-language books, Time Pieces, Golden Apples, Seed of Redemption, and the widely acclaimed Arachas Chaim, Ben Torah for Life, published by Eshel Publications. And without further ado, I want to welcome Rosh Shiva to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's very nice, especially
1: since there are two or three of the KOL members that are Silver Spring um, yeshiva graduates, and the fact that they are enriching the community
0: and the community is enriching them is really uh, very special. So I, I feel quite at home, Baruch Hashem. Thank you. Um, I'm not an alumni of Silver Spring, but I did travel there when I was learning at Lakewood. Rosh Hashemah me on. Uh, on Kiddushin. Uh I don't know if I did well or not, but I, got, I guess I did well enough to uh, Rabbi Elephant took me to his share next year. So okay, so then <laughs> worked I, I, out. I guess it worked out. <laughs> I want to know if the Rashiva could talk a little bit about his parents, his background. Uh, the Rashiva, um, the Rashiva's father, Riv Zion, and the Rashiva's Shver, father-in-law, Riv Banish, I'm sure had a very influential part in the Rashiva's life. And I want to know if you could share with our listeners a little bit of what that was to you to grow up in that way. Yes, uh, it's a bit bit
1: personal, and I hope it would be of interest to a broader public, if you're asking. Um, First, as, as I've gone through life and I've met people and so on, the importance, the significance of a home that's happy and has value is incalculable in the children's lives. There is nothing that gives you a head start in life in every area than of having had that type of childhood. And I do owe it to my parents um, and then my in-laws that this was the type of environment that I came into being from. And My parents are both survivors. My father was from Lithuania, a product of Yeshiva world. Um, he had a wife and children who were killed in the war. My mother was much younger, from more of a Hasidic background. and. I guess I did write about my father in timepieces there's a piece about him the fact that he was wise intelligent calm thoughtful Th- those those were things that gave me a childhood that was beautiful when people talk about survivors children I-, I never knew what they were talking about mm-hmm. later on in life I realized that that this was very unique that he came to that he was able to establish a home that had none of the trauma, and uh, I that to me that's that's my basis for life is his calm thoughtfulness, um, and always the sense of where's the other person coming from. My when I got older, I when I graduated high school, I went to the yeshiva. I didn't know my father not that well in when I was a bacher but when I got married, and I became part of the household. I saw greatness, in um, my father-in-law never spoke about himself or what he's thinking, but you began to realize he was the head of the yeshiva. He had to make a lot of decisions, he had a lot of responsibilities. He was always thinking about the consequence of his actions, how to do things in a way that will get things done without anyone being upset. He, He put a tremendous amount of effort into that. And I, 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 he shared very little openly, but I saw a lot. And my mother was a person who was there 24-7 for other people. She was busy all day and, and she felt, if she wasn't doing something good for someone, she felt that she's somehow misusing her time. That was the environment, that was the environment that at home.
0: It's interesting because the thing that Rashiva focused on the most was the happy home, not you know any other lofty spiritual level, master yes. of scholarly workings or yes. texts, um, and you put that next to the fact that they're survivors of the war. Yes, is how do we how do we understand this? I mean, you're going through some of the most um, egregious parts of Jewish history, the most recent, of course, um, the Holocaust, and yet the home you grew up in was a happy home. How, do, do you know what that sh- was? There a struggle there? How? Did they manage with that? Did they discuss it at all? What did you observe? It's interesting. My father spoke a lot about the
1: positive aspects of life and people. And, you know, he, he discussed his home. He discussed even events in the ghetto that reflected on nobility, something special about people. The, um, I, he, I remember he even told me once, and I was kind of floored by it, that one of the guards in the ghetto, one of the Nazi gods seemed to be a little more human than others. And he asked him, how can you people do this? And the person told him, and my father said, he believed his all sincerity, he said, it's the problem of you Jews, you started this war, and now you're eating just the consequence of your actions. And my father said, I really think the person believed it. Um, And so it was, he had a very big sense of life and saw a bigger picture, he didn't, you know, we may not understand what happened, but life is bigger than that. And um, even in his, in his last few days, he was an old person, and he was sick, he expressed something about who'd ever thought that it would be fortunate to have such children, grandchildren, and so on, and, um, you know, things of that nature. It was very, very moving. He he saw life in the bigger picture, and the big picture is Tove. It's good. He also understood a lot of the uh, a, a lot of
0: the suffering. This reminds me of a question I just read in the Ated by the uh, Chinuch Roundtable. For those who uh, enjoy a good coffee room Haq. Um someone wrote a question about buying German made products and should it be discussed and not be discussed. And without getting into that specific question and the and the uh, answers, it did. To me open up the the question and really open the door to the broader conversation, are we teaching our youth enough about the Holocaust, the Khurban of Europe? Is it something that should be focused on more in itself or should be in the broader context of all the different Khurban, all the different tragedies throughout our history? On the other hand, it's the most recent. There are survivors, right. a few, a few left. I'm very privileged to have met many survivors, gotten many brachas. I've even taken my little uh, my little son and daughter to get a bracha from a survivor that we know. Um, I don't know if they'll remember, but it's like we're kind of holding on just a little bit. What should the relationship be with the Churban of Europe? So it's complex because
1: history of facts that happened, and then and then what's the picture trying to fit it into? So classical history will look at history evolving through a series of economic, political factors. So why wars got started? Um, what was driving different countries and so on? That's, that's a that's the dominant approach, which is fine. The question is really, how do we frame it to our children? Um, what exactly are we trying to give over? On Tisha Bav, um, by Kinnis, I try to speak every year about a big figure in Europe who had um, was either killed in the war or survived it, but represents a certain unique flavor in Yiddishkeit. Because to me, that's about what I can, what I feel is missing. So much was truncated. There were so many different subflavors in that world. Um, beauty, um, incredible courage. I've spoken about Navardik, I've spoken about Gehr, I've spoken about Kleisenberg. I spoke about uh, Rav Kalbach in Germany and, and each year as I as I get into it I see that there were so many worlds there and I think that giving over as much as we can gives us the heritage that was lost in many ways. We have a much more homogenous society today but we, lo- we
0: lose out on distinct flavors. It's interesting because um, our producer John drove all the way to deal new jersey when you when you recorded uh yakov we did a virtual gig with yakov Shwaki, and one of the songs he sang was shema yisrael which is just a every, a, every time i listen to that song it just sends chills down okay. up and down your spine about the there's different uh versions of the story but laser silver rescuing children screaming shema yisrael they came running to him i've shown that um have played that song and there's a music video to it to many secular people i even showed it to some public school students, and I sent it out to their mothers just letting them know what we did. And one mother wrote back, it put her to tears right away. And this does touch on the controversy of Yom HaShoah, and without getting into the time in the calendar that was picked for that, which is a separate discussion, but it does kind of bring up the issue, do we look at the Holocaust as something in of itself. In other words, when we talk about it, we try to learn from it. Are we missing the broader picture that we are in Gullus? or no, you have to take one each on their own. And this is the most recent and therefore it's the most relatable. And that's why we have to talk about it the most. Well, first of all, we have to talk about it because it is recent and relatable, like you said. So
1: it would be callous to just not think about it, not having to do with it. But it, it I think the piece that's missing is a thought that the Tanya always introduces in his in his work in his, in the Tanya and it goes as follows we 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 tend to be in awe of greatness that was displayed you know going up in smoke kind of a person sacrificing everything in you know, keeping on his Yiddishkeit and so on, whether it deals with the Inquisition, whether it deals with Tachvatat, whether it deals with, with any one of the of, of the different um, difficult uh, uh, eras we went through. The Question is, can we harness it for our day-to-day life? In other words, there's a famous quip about. It says that Bilam, who was considered a wicked person. It says, senafi, I would love to die the death of a decent person. So people somehow want to live an indecent life, but have a glorious chapter ending it. You know, going up in smoke and courageous and whatever, what, what have you not. So the question is, why is it that we find it so difficult to live our day-to-day life, especially when things are extremely good? Can can we harness some of that? I remember many years ago, between 83 and 90, I was teaching Neisha Torah. And there was a group, there were a group of students from South America, especially Brazil, sweetheart people, just nice people. But doing things really wasn't their forte. They were kind of very laid back about life, and they sort of took things easy. At the same time, in Russia, there was a nascent, and actually at that time it was, we began to really blossom, Baal Shuvah movement. And people were beginning to keep Torah Mitzvahs under great duress. It meant basically you became a non-citizen. They would, I, I actually was there in 87 to, to teach. And if you, if you, if you gave pa- in papers a plight of visa to visit Israel, you lost your job, you basically had nothing to do all day. And you were locked in a tiny apartment, and it was light. It was hot. It was hot. In the earlier times, they would actually persecute you, and then it sort of became just kind of uh, a frozen existence. And Rev Weinberg was involved in that, Reb Noach, and he said, "Why is it that when things are rough, it brings out so much of the spiritual side of of Yisrael, of, of and when things are well, we don't get it?" said so maybe we can get Brazil to enact some laws against Torah, and that'll bring out some of the best. So I really would like to, um, I was interviewed when they had the shooting in Pittsburgh in, uh, two years ago. And I said, you know, it, it, it's terrible to die as a Jew. It's much harder to die as a Jew when you don't know what it means to live as a Jew. Mm-hmm. Um, why is this life worth sacrificing for? And I think being able to combine the two, understanding that if there's something deep inside us that allows us to make sacrifices like that, there must be something worth mm-hmm.
0: sacrificing for. So I would like somehow to combine the two. Beautiful. No, that is beautiful. Um, I can't uh, go away from the fact that you just mentioned something from, from the Tanya, which yeah. really is a great segue to my next topic, Hashkafa. There are different hashkafas, that's what people like to say, which means, which is loosely defined as, I guess, outlook. I want to just go on a very general sense, and then we'll maybe transition, transition to something more detailed. But what is the definition of hashkafa? So I assume like
1: every word, it it, it bears the definition of the people, use them. There's no dictionary, we don't have a dictionary, but I'll tell you the way I would see it. The halacha part of Torah, is like dots. They are particular. In a case like this, you do like this. In a case like that, you do like that. That's what the whole system of Allah always is creating dots. But if you, if you have, I don't know if they still have them today, but those coloring book for kids with dots that you connect. Today it's probably an app somewhere. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but, but but my days, you had these, all these dots that you connected, and you'd be surprised at the picture that came out. You know If it was done well, the dots look random, and then you connect in a picture. So the halacha part of Torah is all dots. It's like, what to do in a particular case? What's the law? Is there a picture that comes out of it? And the answer is, yes, there has to be a picture that comes out of it. How do you connect the dots? And as long as the dots are all connected, then the picture is legitimate, and you can have different ways of connecting it. That defines the difference between all the different branches of Torah through Judaism whether it's the Yekis, whether it's Hasidim, whether it's the Litvisha, whether it's different Sephardi communities, as long as all the pieces
0: were put into place, the connections are are appropriate. Okay, so then if that's the case, can we connect dots sometimes like this and then at other times connect dots like that? In other words, um, is one allowed to borrow or take from other... Hashkafas, I know the Rosh Hashiva was interviewed on by Reb Ephraim Goldberg on this topic. And part of the discussion was that it should look like an organized mix, not like someone who just doesn't know what they're doing, where it's totally uh, some sort of like mishkebabel. So, but my specific question is, what is a sign? What, you know, what is the difference? What is it? What would the difference look like where it's an organized um, symphony versus just a bunch of people off tune? So there
1: are a few pieces. Obviously, one is the dots are connected. Two, d- d- do the connections seem to flow seamlessly or it- it- th- the gaps? It's like sometimes you'll meet a person who's not well, but he's intelligent, and there's, a, there's this flow of conversation with a lot of deep points. But when you sit back and say to yourself, you know, it doesn't seem to be connected. Seems to be it. Just it just doesn't connect together. It's like a lot of things, but not connected. So it's an intuitive thing. It's hard to put a finger on it. It has a lot to do with the person who's connecting these dots. A sense of the person is there. Is is, is he put together, so to speak? And and you know, getting a sense of where it's coming and how it's coming together. If it seems to be a random mishmash of stuff then you wonder, is this, is this just a lot of pieces? The, um, I used. The, if you're referring to that podcast, I used a marshal which I think is apropos. In, in my days, there were people who were Shnuris going to Kiddushim collecting stuff. And they had these coats with these big packets, and wherever they thought nobody was looking, they would dump a platter of cake or a platter of kugel. So when he empties out his packets and he gets back home, can we call that a smorgasbord? <laughs> And the answer is, well, a smorgasbord, somebody planned out foods that will complement each other, look well placed a certain way, and you get that sense when you walk in. When this poor fellow empties his packets, the common denominator is this was the food that was on the plate when he thought nobody was looking. Mm-hmm. So you, you really need to get a sense, one, one of, when I was guided by my rebellion about people, movements, things like that, a key word that was always used was a glatte mensch, it's a German Yiddish word, glatte means literally smooth, but it means that there's a certain seamless quality about it. It doesn't seem as if there's, there's a lot of jagged pieces and, and holes and, and gaps. So it's, it's an intuition um, and uh, I guess that's, that,
0: that has to be the sense of things. You know, that, is, that is very interesting um, because in some circles we find that it's encouraged to broaden your horizons. In other places, it's more focus of our way. And it could get a little you know, a little hard for someone who's the student, the Talmud, the disciple. Well, do I have to then follow exactly that way? And do I have to think to myself, how would my Rebbe or whoever say if I had a different hashkafa? Is one, a lot to be on some level of free thinker? So, I, I wouldn't phrase
1: the word allowed as much as is it, is it good. I would say it depends on a person's age and station. Whereas a person has to accept the fact that when he's young, he tends to be impulsive, attracted to mm-hmm. the more extreme. I know myself, I remember when I was young, the more extreme a speaker was, the more I found it engaging. You know, he's, he's quote unquote telling the truth as it is. I got older, changed. So, for a younger person, he's feeling out more or less which direction he's going to. I would suggest it's always good to find a default setting. This is the yeshiva Rebbe movement that you feel comfortable. And as your inclination to broaden your horizons are, that's fine. And you and but understand that it has to be
0: incorporated in something that sort of means something together. In other words that uh, it should probably be taking the person in direction of growth, working harder not, oh, if I could take this hashkafah, then I could use that right. as, an, as an excuse. Right, and, and let's, let's take an example that, and we'll, we'll take something that's
1: a physical reality. That we, could, uh, we, we all are familiar with modern Orthodox communities where people dress casually and we can respect them and what they have to offer. We can see a Hasidic community and it is something which we can respect and say, beautiful, we could see the community. Now, imagine the following, and I'll quote a little, a little anecdote that I actually heard. There was a fellow who got married in the media Shiva, when I was a Bacha. So this is going back uh, 50 years ago. He had an uncle, a nice out-of-town fellow who came in, uh, a sweet fellow, and he was telling a, a story. He said, I had bought a strimal once when I was in Israel or something, and I you know he bought it as a curio. And then he came for, his, for the wedding of this nephew, I think it was. And he said, wow, this is the time that, to wear the shtrimal. So I'm walking to the hotel with my uh, nephew, and I'm wearing a shtrimal, and you know, two Yashams come over, and they're laughing, and they say "Mazeltov," Tov, and the other two. And I turn at some point to my nephew and say, you know, I didn't know you were so popular, but it's come and say Mazeltov. So somebody in the audience asked him, but why is everybody laughing? He says, I think it was on account of the shorts that I was wearing. So he was wearing a strain shorts. So if a person is so wearing something that seems to fit well in a modern type of, of dress, that's fine. A person who has a yeshivish outfit, that's fine. A person who citizen files are fine. When you mix and not match, it's weird. Mm-hmm. So wearing sneakers, black suit and a streimel is you either found the, the clothing
0: in, in some local uh, gemach or, 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 or you're strange, you need something. That's interesting because even in halacha I heard, um, I've heard that snias, there are some parts of the laws, the halacha, Snias which are defined in halacha and other things which are subject to the norms correct. of that place. correct. And the last question I have on the topic of hashkaf is when we hear leaders of particular communities and real gi- gigantic spiritual leaders, Talmida Chachamim, Gedolim, that um, find a problem with another leader's um, take on something. And you know, behind us we have an entire uh, set, or more than an entire set, of the um, of the Shanstein edition of Talmud Bavli, which is filled with arguments. Yes. And we know how much they argued, yet how much they respected each other. Hillel and Shammai were, of course, right. the, the example given. But somehow, when it comes to hashkafa, the relationship could not be necessarily like Hillel and Shammai. It's hard for students, for the simple folks, to look like, how come I see? How, one second, how do I make? How do I make of this? He's Speaking about this branch of whatever, and he's talking about this branch of that. And I understand if it's different, but why? How, how do we internalize when? someone not just has a different hashkafa, but that actually goes against a different hashkafa. So I will,
1: what's appropriate is that a person strongly advocate for what he believes is true. If someone can do it right, he can, it obviously is also expressing what's wrong about the other approach. Um, Personal um, involvement should never be there. It shouldn't become personal. And it's very hard. Unfortunately, any time it, it moves past a very big person, just becomes where people are involved, it tends to become very personal. Okay. And that's some of the, of the um, sad uh, fallout from it. So it's important to... Um, they asked once, Rav Zanenfeld, there was a certain person in Yerushalayim that he opposed tremendously, and yet he respected that person greatly, gave him great respect, at, when they met, on, on Simchas and so on, and someone asked Rav I'm very, very um, perplexed, this, you call this person apicorus and you give him such great deference. And he said, no, I, never, I said that his writings have Apichorus, but the person is far from apicorus. And that type of distinction marks a big person where you know what you believe to be true and why you believe what he says is not true, and yet the person is great. I have the, take an example like the Ramban on Chumash, which stands as probably the classic Hashka for Sefer. He quotes constantly the Rambam in Moronavuchim and Evanezra. Sometimes he says, they have it. And sometimes he says, it's horrible what they said, and, and will write very sharply. Some but but the, the reverence is evi- evident. The fact is that they're his basis. This is the default setting, and let's see where we hold. The three's farm they call the most is Rashi, Eben Ezra, and Rambam, and Rambam. And he, and he um, disagrees with them with the Rambam and Eben Ezra. Rashi disagrees, but there's never that type of argument because it's never substantive arguments. But here he disagrees about their approach, and he, he, he you see his admiration for them. And you see his sharpness because he feels, and he writes one place, the reason I'm so sharp is because I don't want people to think that this is right in any way. So it takes a great person to argue that way. But um, you know, that the, unfortunately, the fallout is a lot of times it becomes very personal, especially by people who are not great people. So what's the, what's the, the etza? What's the takeaway? I think away? we have to keep reinforcing that. You know, I'll point it out when I teach in Namban in, 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 in yeshiva, I'll point out, look at the sharpness. With which he's, let's explain why he's so sharp. What's the point that he's that he's so sharp about, and see how we treat. And that has to be. We you know when we're discussing what's right and what's wrong, we need to be very serious about it. Um, when we're
0: discussing people, we need to discuss people with the reverence that that we owe them. Right. And if you see them, let's say outside the room where you were discussing it, you you treat them with the same Havas Yisrael, the same. You're supposed to. Right. Yes. Yes. And it's hard. Yes, right. it's hard. It's 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 part
1: of our, um, who we are. We tend to be argumentative. We tend to, um, it, it's, it's a search for truth and it's sometimes uh, uh,
0: over, overlaps into personal. Sure. I wanna go and into- Sometimes the, it's just personal. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, our next topic, Chayecha Codeman. We know that in the, the, in the Halacha, when it comes to human life, a person has to make sure they protect their life and if it's sometimes, if it's between them and someone else, they have to prioritize themselves if that's the case. Um, when it comes to one's spiritual health, their Ruchnias, you know, two recent movements that have, I guess you could say, taken off is the Chuva movement and the kirv movement um, and the kolal movement. The Chuva movement is seeing an interesting um, challenge with uh, people being so distracted with technology and, and uh, you know, finding a way how to keep that strong, but there's still plenty of Bali Teshuvah, Yeshivas in and with kolalim you find kolols uh, opening up in every city, and sometimes in every city you have multiple kolols. There is a challenge, there is an expense among those who are entering those fields. On one hand, they're needed, they are a mashbiya, they teach, they help, they, gr- they help people grow. Hopefully they grow themselves in the process, but they do put some of their own ruchnius at risk. So on a super high level, is there a metric? Is there a guiding principle that one should bear in mind? When they are a mashpiyah, how much are they allowed to, quote-unquote, be Michael? Are they allowed to forgive? Um,
1: so obviously, it's a very personal issue. In other words, no two people are alike, no two situations. And that's why having a personal mentor, something like this, is very important. But going back to the first premise, let, let, let me point out a big exception. So, the halacha is if a person is not sure if fasting on Yom Kippur will be dangerous for his life or not, he's not allowed to fast on Yom Kippur. He, you know, pikoch nefesh docha. If a person sees somebody else in danger, he does not have to risk his life to save the other person. Chayecha But there's, there's a halacha about going into battle and going to war. It's an obligation. That for a war, for to protect the Kaiso the people who can have to go to battle. Do we say chayecha kodmin? I'm I'm out. The answer is no, because that's what you're doing. When what you're doing is something else, we have chayecha kodmin. But obviously, in fighting a war, we don't say that. As a matter of fact, um, anybody who tries to to run away from the battle uh, is he could be killed. that's the halacha. So. And um, we see that when a person is engaged, when he's the guardian soldier, then we don't, obviously logically, we don't have that rule. So people, A, who feel that by doing this work, they are sort of the, the, the front unit of cholesterol, then the Chayecha Kodemian rule doesn't apply like that, one. Two, for many people, the life brings out a lot of ruchnis in them. They may be learning Gemara at a lower level, they may be teaching people simple things, but it it taps into some very deep parts of a person and it affects them positively, affects their family positively. And it's also something that a person needs to reevaluate from time to time. What may be right for your particular family when the kids are still young, maybe when older it's not, that's why it's important to have somebody that you consult with, who obviously is positively inclined for what you're doing, but in the sense of limitation of your family. Because at the end, if it's taking a big toll on your family, you're not going to be able to do the work well. So they do go hand in hand. But A, people gain a lot from it in Ruchnius. They may lose in some areas, but they gain a lot from it. And, um, and, and uh,
0: people grow, and they become something that they're not. So that's kind of where this terminology, whether it's positive or not, Heter-Kirov came from, that if I'm going to war, right, so then I have this allowance. So it's a very, very um, dangerous road. At the same time, there are certain norms in the secular world, which is just a collision to how people were in their prior yeshiva or kolal community. And, you know, one last point is that if they are fighting that war and they are, Dealing with certain things, then maybe if it affects them, they won't even be a good mashbhiya in the first place. So, what's the you know where where, where does that line get drawn? So, I'll tell you something I once
1: heard. I, I I forgot the exact detail of it, but I once heard this actually. I was sitting next to a chabad shliach to either NYU or to the village. I don't remember which one it was, and. He told me that he had asked the Rebbe about going to the other place. They're very close, NYU and the village are kind of... Uh, but he, he, he was one or the other, the other one the rabbi said not to do. It's probably the only time the rabbi's told something not And he asked him why. The rabbi said, whenever you go down, whenever you dive deep, you need to have a cord attached to, uh, uh, to the tap. So I can hold your hand and hold on to you. But just so far, at some point I can't even hold on. What I mean is it's important that a person have connections in terms of at times during the year when a person goes back to his yeshiva or or whatever he feels is is his root source, spend some time there to recalibrate, to um, have a person, a Rebbe, they can touch base with every so often, even without questions, but just to have a sense that this is ideal, and this is what I need to do under the circumstance. Just like a soldier goes back for R&R, he, 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 he recharges himself. So I think anyone going out far afield, the f- or let's put it this way, the further afield you go, the more you need to have those connections. Spending some time of the year back in yeshiva or wherever it is that you feel is appropriate. Having people you can hold on to. Just have ongoing
0: connection. Mm-hmm. And the last question before we go to the next topic is what happens when there are growing pains, there's um, real growth. And sometimes that means that whatever area of Yiddishkeit that is being grown or that's being changed could at times um, hurt or alienate others who are not really going along with that change, with that growth, whether it's with Kashrus or with the Shul or with Hanukkah at a school or any other area we wanna pick in, um, in the classic Jewish life. Um, does Chayecha Kedem apply there as well? That no, there needs to be growth, and if it means that other people might have to take a step back and they're not able to go along with it, you know, Taira's Eitz Hi, only for those Lamachzikimbo, only for those who grab it tightly. On the other hand, how do we call ourselves children of Hakadosh Baruch if we don't treat others like real brothers and sisters?
1: So. Again, these are are issues that tend to be very specific and you need to have somebody who understands the situation to to speak it over with. Generally speaking, somebody has to get a sense. This has been an issue, for instance, even mainstream communities where the schools and the population of schools have changed. Do you keep it at a mediocre level to serve many people? Mm -hmm. Do you try to make it more elitist and alienate people? So. There has to be a general sense of community. What is the community ready for? And use that as the general framework and make accommodations for other people. Let them understand that despite the fact that things have changed, you still see them as partners. You'll help them accommodate. Um, in, In our school, we've made two tracks, and we've made the tracks in a way that can accommodate either one Without creating a real sense, so boys who want to learn more hours a day can do that, and it's interchangeable. It it, it takes it. You might have to expend a lot of effort, but keeping a sense of achdus is very important.
0: Okay, moving on to the the uh, the book, or really the safer the Roshiva wrote a Ben Torah for life, which right. um, became very very popular very quickly. Um, there was this notion around that people feel this very nice dose, heavy dose of Jewish guilt. If I only threw myself into learning more, I would be the Shavit Levi. I would be the one that could be, uh, you know, have um, Parnassa because the Evishter will provide. And if I have to go work I'm on a failure on some level, there is a message that we all hear. I definitely heard it as a child that you could be a goddle, you could be a gadol, you could be a gadol, And I'm not sure what they meant by Galdo, but it, it, I don't know if it meant selling Amazon uh, products from a warehouse. So is that was that not true? Was that maybe misunderstood? And no one's going to be productive with this guilt in the back of their head. Um, you know, another story, and then I'll let the Shiva weigh sure. in. But we are all told the story about the Nitziv as a young boy, and he overheard his parents, and then he um, had to... Um, he was going to go work, and then he told them, no, I'm going to apply myself, and then he became the Nitziv, and then when he made the CM, he said the story, I'll go up to Shemayim, and they'll give me din v'chashbin, like, it's a scary thought that, you know, maybe we could have been the Nitziv, maybe we didn't have to do that, but at the same time, we don't see a way forward. Um, so, I, I
1: guess there would be, I'll give a muscle, which is a bad muscle because I don't like the topic particularly, but I think it's a good muscle. When you have a coach prepping a team to win, it sounds like if they're not going to win, it's it's the next the uh, uh, it's it, it, the world will, will explode. That's what it sounds like. Uh, you know, you, you rile up the troops in a way where it's going to you know the world will come to an end if you guys don't win the, the game. You hope that there's a broader message that has to do with real life and so on. There is something about pushing kids to do better. If the message is just, you're okay exactly as you are, you get very little traction and not going anywhere. You want to give goals. I, I am a bit, I, I, I do think it should be a little bit different than, you could be the Godel Hadar, which, which, which basically excludes everybody else. <laughs> but, but it could bring a lot out. You push people at a younger age. They certainly bring a lot out of themselves. But, you know, there's a message for a 17-year-old and there's a message for a 27-year-old. And if you've done what you can and you've, you've, you've pushed yourself and this is where you are, now you have to ask yourself, what's wanted from me at this point? So it's, it's, a, it's a possibly correct message at a certain time and place because the main message is work a lot harder. You'll be able to do a lot better. So just like the coach, if he's, if he's got a half a brain, he knows that he's pushing the team to get somewhere, but he also understands that the world does not come to an end if you lost a poor game. So a person also has to understand that. where you push somebody in yeshiva to push really hard to, to grow in learning, but then you're a 27-year-old, you're not a 17-year-old, and you need
0: to understand it as you did it. Right, but if we were to go to that uh, Marshall, which actually I like, um, if the coach said something which just makes the kids feel very out of place, and it won't be productive either. So I guess my question is as parents, as mechanchim, as mashbiyam, what should our message to our children be, whether they're 5, 10, 15, or 20? Is the message the godl message or is the message the godless message? So I, uh, so I think that's exactly it and, and th-
1: I think the word gadol hador is a bad word. I think godol, gadol means a big person
0: that everybody could be. A big person has to do with yourself. But no terms. one takes it that way. Everyone takes Godel as Rav Chaim And, and I, think that it, I think it's bad for two reasons.
1: First of all, um, basically what you're looking for is the person who has a picture in newspapers. <laughs> um, it doesn't. you're not translating to the person who I remember 40 years ago who was unknown and just sat and, and, you know, and, and learned under very difficult conditions and really pushed. If people don't see that, and it's not right, because there's only one like that, so so it, you, you're giving an impossible message for a classroom of kids. But what God me is that a person can can be a ruchnistic person, spiritual, a person can be of chachma, love wisdom, a person can care a lot about others. Th- those those are things we can push ourselves, and I think that that's where the message should be tuned. The the, the, the these easy stories about the other that, that's um, yeah. It, it, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, a, a, I guess, a counter story. It's it's a sharp, it's a little bit of a sharp story, and um, I, I take it a little bit of a different way. You know, the story about Nsiv goes that his father wanted him to be a cobbler. It would have come to Shemayim, and they would have showed him all these wonderful svarim that could have been written, and and he could have done it. So, Rebel Salvechik, the Breskraf's son. Was very sharp. And there was somebody who wrote a safe that he felt really, really was worthless. He he, he just didn't like it. And he said, You know, I'm worried about him. He'll come to Shemaim Tanjwani, they'll show him a beautiful pair of shoes, and said, You know, you could have made such wonderful shoes. (laughs) Um, You know, giving people realistic goals at the time when they're ready for that and and understanding that that's the expression of themselves is, is is the thing to do. So, somebody who can go to an a, a, a town out of town and create a colo and podcasts um and stuff like that and and he uses himself he pushes himself and he does it with self sacrifice that's that's worth it that's that's your life you know if if, if you feel that your it uses up every ounce of your abilities and your and your your your, core, your strength then
0: then you're doing the right thing that's what's wanted of you the uh, Classic book on Jewish ethics, Musser, The Sharm does begin after his lengthy introduction that the chayv, the obligation of a person, is l'hisanig el to derive right. einig. Um, how we define einig, pleasure, um, connection, uh, meaning from Hashem, which is a very, very broad, super high level right. macro. For one to ask, is there a way for one to be able to figure out for himself, at least in some level, am I fulfilling my tafkid? If a person feels energized spiritually
1: by what he does, he feels a certain oomph. If he's learning, if he's davening, if he's helping people, if he's you know being married to, if a person feels that his world of mitzvahs is fulfilling and energizing. Then, then that's al Hashem. If it's just dull and rote and routine, that's not lisanigal Hashem. So, does he does he feel does he look forward to some part of his
0: of his of his, his activities? That's really th- that should be the, the, the measuring rod. Because we're we're all told that there's this concept of Gilgal, and we've come back, and uh, I don't know. Do I need to come back after this life? Like there's you know all what? these. Let's things Let's worry that about life one life at a time. <laughs> at you a
1: know, time. It, 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 it's it's something that tends. Anything that's that leads to unproductive speculation mm-hmm. is worthless mm-hmm. and See, it's uh, a horror. Yeah, it's uh, i I'll share with you. I once heard from the Sivas Shalom. He said a Hasidish of art, Islam of art. The, the, it's Hasidish, but uh, it, it so in, 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 in the meaning of the words, it's not, it's quite uh, off, but, it, but it's but it's it's powerful in, in its message. Rashi says the, the pasuk says I'll tell you first what the words mean literally has nothing to do really with it. It says that the oil that that you bring to light the menorah is cassis. Cassis means it's the first squeeze of the oil before you chop up the. the what what happens is they squeeze it and oil comes out. That's the cleanest oil. Then they grind up the stuff and you get oil that's not such quality and 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 so on. So. The criteria for the oil use of menorah has to be kasis. So Rashi says kasis l'maor. It, it only for lighting the menorah do you need to have that premium brand of oil. For low kasis lemnachos, when you bring oil together with flour as a as a meal offering as a mincha, you do not need to have kasis. That's that's the Gemara. That's straightforward. The literal tajim. A Hasidic take on it was. Kossis means to shatter, to break. A person needs to break himself, to, to be hard on himself. But lemar, when what comes out of it is the person shines. V'lo nochos from the word menucha and not if it depresses you and inactivates you. So when a person is tough on himself, so sometimes like the coach and the team, it brings out the best. And sometimes the person says, "What the heck? Um, you know, nothing's working. I've beaten up myself. Might as well just, you know, retire." So all of these thoughts, what are they doing to you? They could all be right, but what are they doing to you? We're all going to die. So if a person sits and dwells on the fact that we're going to die, what does it do to him? So one person says, "You know, I've got a lot to take care of, and I must take care of it. I've got a lot to do. That's wonderful." So so that thought of dying energizes. Everyone says, what the heck? organ well, I might as well eat, enjoy drink. life. Uh, <laughs> yes, eat, drink, and, and, uh, and, and that's. So, so all of these different ideas, all these things, where is it taking a person to? If, if, it's, if it's framing a, a productive way of life, then, then great. If it just takes the person to know his will, that then it's a
0: Yetzirah. Beautiful. No, that's great. And our last uh, question or topic, um, Rashiva wrote a very um, inspiring and eye-catching article um, in the Mishbach magazine after a recent tragedy of an author in Eretz Yisrael. Um, I remember as a Bachar in the Mirror um, by Rabbi Elefants, Ali Shor, and uh, w- w- one of the one of the greatest Moster um, that I remember vividly, where he talked about the Mishnah in, in, uh, in sight of. Uh, um, anyone who sees a Saito Kula Yazar atzmin and a In other words, a person has to have some takeaway. And Rabbi Aleph and Kidarkoi said, it's not the shot you start hocking. What seminary did she go to? Her cousins come out of sight no, you have to take a lesson. Yes. This was probably the biggest khil hashem of our lifetime. It was it was just it's it shakes me to the core to think that it happened, it it, it was allowed to continue. What's our Yazar And What is the takeaway here? How do we not let a tragedy, so to speak, to go to waste? So, I'll tell you what I spoke in the high school by us. Um,
1: the first thing, it, 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 let's look at that statement. Somebody sees a woman in the worst state, and Yazar should, should should stop drinking wine. When we see somebody, who did something terrible, uh, disgraceful to the nth degree, our first thought is it makes us feel better about ourselves. And that's why when you talk about it that way, you talk about how bad the other person is, we tend to sort of, it moves us up higher. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wonderful person. I would never do something like that. But you have to realize n- very few people start out evil. Um, there are psychopaths. Born that way for whatever reason maybe or they had a terrible childhood But most people thought and what happens is it goes from step one to step two step three And let's take an example Ponzi schemes. There are some people that sit down and say what's the best Ponzi scheme? I can build most of the time it happened with something legitimate and Then he was short and he took a little cash out and he saw that it's okay and he's able to meet that. And then he sort of talks himself into it, that he can do others, and so on and so forth. And you know, there are all sorts of mechanisms people use internally to, to, to live with it. The, um, the, the, everyone does it, and that's reality. And you know, I'll give it all back in, this, in spades. People will be happy to invest. But, you know, on and on and on. The same thing happens in these areas, in, in the abuse areas. It starts with an emotional connection with a person, it starts with crossing red lines because you don't think that anything, you could do anything wrong and then the other person and then it goes and goes and then once you're in it you get sucked in and then it it becomes, uh, you know, this becomes your life. So looking and understanding that you need to reaffirm red lines and the drinking wine is because wine tends to alcohol tends to blur our self-control and understanding how much a person needs self-control. So if we, the takeaway, so there's, there's, a, there's a takeaway obviously on the societal level, which I'm not sure that's, that's it's a complex and it really needs, um, you know, a lot of work. But on the personal level, we could all be that person. Wow. If we don't stop at the first red line and we don't say to ourselves, even if the red line kind of looks as silly, it's bureaucratic, true. But for instance, Yichud means a, a man is not allowed to be in a woman, with a woman on, alone in a room when nobody comes in. You start blurring the line. For a therapist. You're Right, yeah. a therapist. So a therapist is also a human being. And he was a therapist in the world. And, and I believe he sincerely cared about his people. And that emotional connection in a place where nobody was looking blur, blurred the lines. And once you get sucked in, it's once you get the thrill of once,
0: twice, then, then you're hooked. So, so is the Rashiva saying that we should not be looking at this person as a, oh, that's, he's a one and who knows how many psychopaths, no shaykhes, no, that, that there is a shaykhes if you go down that road. Correct. He's the person that, that went, he's the person that didn't stop, so the brakes were,
1: were, were, were gone, and that's where the fault was. Afterwards, once once you get into once you get into a, a whirlpool of stuff, th- th- that then it becomes then he says well, you know, I'm there anyway, and, 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 and you know, the other person has other internal mechanisms mm-hmm. to cope with it. And I think understanding that we have to stop at a at a at a certain point is, is very, very important. Same thing with money. You know, a person who deals with public finances. It's very easy to blur the line between my pocketbook and the public packet book. I'd say, I need, you know, I, I need this, I'll, I'll switch the accounts, so i will be on the other account, I'm putting a check in. We're human, and we, we kind of blur a line that seems to us,
0: eh, not terrible, and then you, you know one line, and another line, another line. Should there be any suffolk what to do with his books? You know, I would like to leave it up to people's feelings instead
1: of just saying a sack. People should should be able to say to themselves. This is what the person did. These are his books. Um, unfortunately, what, what, what the real tragedy is, his books have tremendous value. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Israel, especially, where there's very little other reading material for kids that have deep human insight and stuff like that, I, I it's 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 I, I believe it's a tragedy. It's a double tragedy. The person had so much to give. The person cared. The person did so much, and the person's. It's like you have a car that goes from zero to 100 in five seconds, can, can get 100 miles on a gallon and has no brakes. That's the best car in the world that will kill you very right. rapidly. Right. And, and, and so that's the thing. It's, it's, it's tragic that there was so much. He did accomplish a lot and,
0: and there were no brakes and maybe no steering wheel. To me, that, that's, it's a double tragedy. Sure. No, and I, th- I think Rabbi Bridewitz made this point out. It's not just what he did, but what he could have become Correct. minus all of that. Correct. And the two could coexist in a human being. Um, I, my question about what to do with the books is because there's too much tolerance. And I know this was discussed at the Agoda Convention. Um, as at Seabor, when we, I think Rabbi Elephant made this point, When the, as at um when we say no tolerance, everyone calms down a little bit. And my question is, I have to admit my bias a little bit, but do we start opening up the tolerance by not throwing it out? So I definitely think that as long as long as it's vivid, you
1: mentioned something about using German products and so on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a year after the war, it, it, it's hard to understand how a Jew could have used the German product. 70 years after the war, where Germany is a decent country and doing a lot and so on, you, you can't make... You can not make these bans forever, and I and I think people should ask themselves: look at the book, look at the name. But in 20 years from now, um, where the events will have receded, I saying there's nothing. The books, not only there's nothing wrong with them. They have. If it would have been stuff that anybody else can put out, I would say, so what? You know, let's let's get rid of it. At the end of it. There is there is value simply because we don't have much other things written like
0: that. Right, but I'm talking about the broader message that th-
1: this is so, so not so definitely, definitely at this time, it, it should be unthinkable that you're able to look at the name and the association and be comfortable keeping it around.
0: In, in, in other words, if I'm understanding correctly, the c does need to make a statement. Correct. Correct. And In the moment. At
1: a statement meaning an expression of, of uh, tremendous uh, horror. But I do... I would not want to phrase it as a halacha or as a ban or anything like that. I think it's time, you know, there's room for expressing personal, uh, you know, horror at the, at, at the person. What happened? I can't bear to look at it. My right. Talmud Sora really walked that line. Correct, and yeah. I think they did it right exactly. And 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 um, that's when our yeshiva made that decision. Also, in others, as a community, we feel it's 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 not what we want there. We're not telling you yes, no. We're telling you, we don't feel that this is appropriate. And I think that that was that was
0: a very, very correct approach. We right. don't need my scammer, right, but right. I'm, I'm very much feel that way. Right. Sure. Sure. No. And this was uh, 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 we really appreciate the Rashiva spending so much time with us. Uh, May the uh, you know you're in Columbus, Is this your first time in Columbus? It's my First time in Columbus. Yes. You saw the Kylo. You saw something. The I saw in the LA. Kolo, I saw some people last night, and it's a
1: really wonderful, really, really beautiful community. Uh, I know how much work has gone in to bring out uh, a lot of it, and I know how much is going on to to keep the community growing beautifully. It's really uh, it's the first time I've been here. I do, like I said before, I know three of the Kolo people are, are you know, I've had a lot of uh, connection to, learned at Yeshiva, or whatever. So I'm really, um, it's it's very nice to see what's growing here. And
0: I, I assume you've got some credit coming to you. I don't know about that, but will uh, you know I, I maybe I just realized i didn't I wasn't truthful before I so said that was the last question. My real last question is, will we be able to welcome the Rashiva back to Columbus at the right time? <laughs> Should I say? if I get a warmer reception <laughs> at zero degrees
1: at, at zero degrees it's five, weather, degree,
0: it's five degrees outside five already. degrees okay
1: <laughs> so it's, it's warmed up already but um, nah, in I, the I, summer in the summer in the summer okay no it's, it's very beautiful I, I really I, I've uh, it's, it's been a very positive uh, experience yeah. so baruch Hashem,
0: Hashem God willing thank you so much we appreciate okay. the was time very nice to listen to all Kolod episodes and see upcoming guests visit kolopodcast.com. We are also on all podcast players. Type in Kolot on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Podbean, and Amazon. Share with your friends and please make sure to give us a five-star review. Kolot is a project of the Columbus Community Kolo, a full-time Jewish learning center in Bexley, staffed with high-caliber Torah scholars. Ever since 1995, boys, girls, men, and women from all backgrounds and affiliations have found many opportunities to connect with Torah and mitzvot at the Kolot. Whether it's a study partner, an engaging lesson, or a program, the Kolel is your one-stop shop for all your Jewish learning. If you want to know how you can benefit from the Kolel, visit thekolel.org. That is T-H-E-K-O-L-L-E-L.org and forever be inspired.